All right, let's get into it. We need to know. People it is, need to it know. is a question that I am asked probably uh, most of frequently. Course. Is how do you go to the bathroom on the submarine? You know, I'm just, I'm a little above that. Yeah. You know, I'm a very sophisticated individual. But uh, <laughs> you keep going, Ahab. For, this is great. <laughs> for, but for our listeners, hello, everybody. This is a great episode. I have author of Volcanic Worlds Exploring the Solar System's Volcanoes. Tracy Gregg, volcanologist, is joining me to talk about what it means to be a volcanologist and about what an insane adventure that life as a, a researcher can be. We recorded this, oh, it feels like another lifetime. This is a Before Times episode, one of the last in existence. And I still remember, I still remember how good it was, but just so you know, no video on this one. This is before BV, before video, and uh, I'm so happy, by the way. I hope I hope that even if you don't follow me on YouTube, which I hope you subscribe, could use all the help getting the new YouTube channel off and started, but um, I really just love that I can put these, uh, maybe if, if you follow me on Instagram instead, you've maybe seen a few of the highlights that we pulled out of it. So I, I love that these things are just having the video, adding that extra context, and and adding these little samples, these little shareable bites for people now that we have video as well has been a really cool addition. So please support me in that. But for now, for this week, we get a nostalgic Before Times episode. So I hope you enjoy it. It's a really terrific episode and conversation. And I feel like I had something else to tell you guys, but I must not, so maybe I'll think of it at the end of the show. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am talking with Associate Professor of Geology at the University at Buffalo. Tracy Gregg is joining me today. What's going on with this University at Buffalo? It's a marketing campaign. There are 64 schools in the SUNY system. The only state that has more state universities is California. They have 65. And uh, the University at Buffalo is the largest school in the SUNY system. It's the flagship school. We have wow. the biggest research program. So there was a desire to make us stand out even more. Tracy, you know, I haven't met a lot of people from Buffalo, but I will say you're the most pro-Buffalo person I have ever met in my life. You're just chuck full of like fun facts about Buffalo, suggestions for things I should check out. I just before the podcast, I, I know this isn't your work, but this is very interesting. Uh, you're telling me about um about there used to be a bunch of exceptionally wealthy people. The the majority of the wealth in North America around 1900 
1900 to about 1910 was concentrated in Buffalo. Buffalo is just the place you wanted to be. Absolutely. Well, it was the place where there were all the natural resources to make money off of, right? We had hydroelectric power from Niagara Falls. We had the Great Lakes as a transportation system. So once you had your grain or your lead or whatever it is you wanted to transport, you flang it on a barge and it could go halfway across the the country. So it was the exploitation of Buffalo's natural resources that led to that concentration of wealth. Yeah. Well, hooray. Yay. (laughs) Um, And and now look at us. Right. Now we have this uh, wonderful library that I've never heard of to show for it. The the Erie County, it's the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library. So the Buffalo Library is the Erie County Library. So I can check out a book at any library and return it at any other library. And because of that concentration of wealth about 100 years ago, The library has some amazing collections. We have an original Gutenberg Bible, and we have, um, from my perspective, the most interesting thing is the world's first acknowledged geologic map was made of England by a guy named William Smith. And for a geologist, it's like literally the Holy Grail. It's a sacred text. Mm. And there are only two complete copies of this map in North America. One is at the Library of Congress, and the other is at the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library. I I love that in the early 1900s, this is just how you flaunt your wealth. Absolutely. I just just bought the uh, Gutenberg Bible for... For the library, right, or a couple of Monets, or well, no, these were bought for personal collections. Oh, it was only as wealth started to decline and they needed tax shelters that they started donating this stuff to museums and libraries and whatnot. Ah, yeah. So the public benefits from the no, no, shocker. (laughs) Yeah, surprise. Boy, I've only been a human for thirty nine years, and I've met a few humans and. And this is just shocking news to me. Well, it's it's nice that you're still so young and impressionable. <laughs> um, all right, Tracy, let's talk about your work, gosh darn it, because I had you on Stand Up Science last night. This is a very last-minute impromptu podcast recording that we're doing, which is going to go fantastically well because we're already friends and and uh and uh, we had such a fantastic show last night and i i didn't argue with you or about your research at all that was the other (laughs) that was the other guest um who will be on next week um according to listeners ears um and and you gave this fantastic talk about volcanoes and I have, you know, uh, full disclosure, geology just is not a thing. It, like, it's an insecurity of mine <laughs> because I, I have a few insecurities in science. Geology and chemistry um, are the two main things that I just know nothing about. And so it's not that I don't want to know, I would like to know everything. But. You know, there you we all have gaps here and there, and so and so. I geologists scare me. I I like I one of my best friends is a geologist. We go on hikes together. He points out these wonderful things about rocks and stuff to me. It's endlessly fascinating, but I'm uh, 
I'm scared right now. I'm intimidated by you. You're an intimidating person, Tracy. And uh, and so I'm so the reason I bring it up is because uh, I think you might be the very first. Oh, you're the second geologist ever on the Here We Are podcast. Yeah. First guy was talking about the terroir of wine. Terroir is a fun word. It is a fun word. Um, and and so so one, I, I say all this because along the way it might be useful to give us just some like geology 101 along the way, but we're mostly going to be talking about volcanoes uh, today. And, uh, and I want to use this as an opportunity to celebrate you because you're also an adventurer. You've been to the bottom of the ocean. That's amazing. Tell us about it. I have. I've been... It's, it, I want the whole life story. Let's let's get started. Wait, the whole life story of just the ocean or the other just incredible places every, I've gotten to go? Yeah, no, all of it. All of it. So, uh, so I'm interested in volcanoes. You know, there's an expression that um, window or that eyes are the windows into the soul, and I believe that volcanoes are the windows into a planet's soul really more like it's bowels right um and we don't have the uh, stick with soul okay. All right. um, but, for the marketing campaign okay good point good point um but in terms of you know what what we want to know as as a geologist i want to know everything i can possibly know about earth and the other planets in the solar system that i like to study and volcanoes uh, provide a way for us to learn about the interior of these planets and how they've changed through time. And we can't drill to the center. In spite of any bad geology movies you might have seen, we have no mechanism to get to the center of the planet. And so volcanoes- How am I supposed to get to China then? I know, you have to take the long way around. Oh. Um, and so volcanoes give us the stuff from the inside of the planet that helps, um, you know, it's it's like when you were in high school biology, you did a dissection of a frog or a pig or a spider or whatever it was in your school district. and. We can't do that with a planet. And so we need volcanoes to tell us what the inner workings are really like. So I don't care where my volcanoes are. I uh, started studying volcanoes. Um, I started graduate school right when the Magellan spacecraft started orbiting Venus. And it was returning first ever glimpses of the surface of Venus. And there was some weird stuff. Um, Venus is super hot. The surface of Venus is hot enough to melt lead. The pressure on the surface of Venus would be the same as being about under 500 meters or almost a thousand, uh, 500 yards uh, beneath seawater. So having you'd need a submarine. We don't dive that deep with scuba gear. And so it's a really bizarre place. And it has no water. It's too hot. And yet it has the longest channels in the entire solar system. There is a channel on Venus that's longer than Earth's Nile River, and it had to have been formed by a volcano. It have, has to be a lava channel. Hmm. So you're like, what the? That's just wrong, right? How, and so I started looking around on Earth for a place to study that was similar to the surface of Venus. And guess what? The place on Earth that's most similar to the surface of Venus is the bottom of the ocean. Mm. And that's because um, the atmosphere on Venus is so thick and heavy, it circulates around more like water than like air. And mm. so the conditions, if you're a volcano, the conditions on the bottom of the ocean are pretty darn similar to the conditions on the surface of Venus. Hmm. So that's how I got interested in submarine volcanoes. I literally called a scientist whose papers I'd been reading 
and said, uh, Dr. Dan Fanari, this is Tracy Gregg. I'm a graduate student. I'm really interested in getting some of your data on submarine volcanoes. Um, could I come to Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute and work with you for a couple of weeks? And, and he, he said, said, no one's ever asked me that before. No, it was, it was better. He said, <laughs> he said uh, no, I don't have time for that, but come on a cruise. I've got, I need, I, I need a body on this cruise. You want to come to the bottom of the ocean? I'm like, uh, yeah. Really? That yes, I just called him at the right time. He needed. You don't go to wait. Uh, all right, I'm just a hair confused right now. So he said, "Come on a cruise. We're taking a cruise. It's a research also- cruise, okay? Right? Because you don't. How are you going to get to the bottom of the ocean? You don't get there from the edge of California. It takes too long, right? The okay. volcanoes aren't right on the coast. There are several." hundreds of miles off the coast. And so you get on a research vessel and you ride that for a few days and you get out to where the volcanoes are and then you get in the is submarine it, and drop like, it down. Is there a pool on it still? <laughs> like, is there all the... Can I, can I, can I perform on your little cruise ship? Uh, cruise probably ship? not. There, okay. um, when, one of the cruises I was on, one of the um, crew members did construct a waterproof wooden box that was about four feet by six feet, filled it with uh, ocean water, put it on the deck, and it was called the ool, specifically not the pool, because there could be no pee in the ool. Okay, that old gem. Yeah, Yeah. so it was a place that people just kind of, and that's the best, it's not meant for pleasure. It's not uh, a cruise with endless food, fun, and drink. In fact, they're all dry. You can't bring alcohol on these ships. Oh, what? So, yeah, it's not the kind of cruise you're thinking. And okay. you're working 24-7. The watch times are four hours on, four hours off. Um, and we run instruments 24-7 because it mm. costs tens of thousands of dollars per day to run that research vessel. Mm. And so literally every minute you're not collecting data, you're wasting the taxpayer dollars. So we try to collect data every minute of every day. Um, so this is, uh, oh man, I was trying to make a Moby Dick reference in my mind. I'm forgetting the, uh, what, what's the captain? Ahab. A- Ahab. Yeah. That's what I was searching for. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's gone. It, yeah. It's, we missed the moment. It, sorry. It's, it's fine. Um, it's sometimes. It's better than a Little Mermaid reference. Sometimes so. missing the moment is better than having nailed it in the first place. How did had I crushed that reference, it would have been like, eh, okay. <laughs> this is almost better that we're exploring my own failures. Okay, that's um, whatever makes you comfortable. <laughs> so, so this was, uh, what, what year was this? This was, I think, 92 <laughs> or 93. Uh-huh. So I was uh, probably, I think, 92. I was uh, early in my, gra- I started grad school in 1990. And, um, and that just, it completely changed the direction of my research. I stopped looking at Venus volcanoes and really focused on uh, volcanoes on the bottom of the ocean. And that's what I did for the rest of my graduate school career. Um, and I spent a lot of time at sea, um, we call it. When you go on a research cruise, you're at sea. And the shortest cruise is about two weeks long, and the longest ones are a couple of months. Mm. So you're away from home for a long time. Uh, well, uh, gosh, I have a zillion questions for you. I have answers. Uh, I, I, this isn't even a very good question because it's not, it's not going to inform the listeners of much of anything. Just my own curiosity. What, what, how has the uh, uh, submarine technology changed in the last 
like 25 years or so you guys you guys still taking the same tin can down there or or you got you got the you got the the ways and the google maps in this thing now or <laughs> so the submarine technology is pretty similar to what it's been for several decades right so um the submersible alvin is the one that i use and uh, it's owned by the navy and operated by woods hole oceanographic institute and um it is uh, designed to go down to 4,500 meters, and every five years it goes in for an overhaul. Um, it goes on uh, on land, and it gets completely taken apart, every piece checked, put back together. And about three years ago, they, uh, they renovated it. Um, they improved the... Um, titanium sphere that contains the people and all the computer equipment. And so it can go down deeper than it could before uh, by uh, about a kilometer or so. And uh, it is supposedly a little bit more comfortable on the inside. But, <laughs> you know, it's a little bit bigger than it was, but only yeah. by about six inches. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I feel like the probably the um, uh, the, the accountants and, and such are, probably aren't calculating a whole lot for your comfort. Well, it, it, right. And you're only in there for eight hours at a time. So you can put up with pretty. I mean, you know, that's a bus ride across New York. That's how long it would take me to get from Buffalo I to mean, New York that's City. So a delightful way of thinking about it, to be sure. Um because I would have been like, I have to be in this thing for eight hours. I would have said it the exact opposite way. Yeah, but first of all, you're a lot taller than I am. That's that true. That makes a difference. Um, oh, yeah. And secondly, every six months, if you're going to go into the submarine for a dive, you uh -huh. have to, while the submarine is on deck, go in with a pilot and another scientist for a safety check. And during this time, the pilot is pointing out all of the safety features inside the submarine. Things like, that's the CO2 scrubber. This will take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, allowing us to breathe. There's enough scrubber for three people to last three days. Or, and then he looks at you meaningfully, one person to last nine days. <laughs> and, and things like that, right? Here's the switch to call the surface. And, and if we get stuck, here's how we can disconnect the titanium sphere containing all the people and the equipment from the rest of the submarine. And it can pop up to the surface like a cork. Don't ever do this is how it all ends, I'm, right? I'm loving this and, right and the whole, now, the, the, the main purpose is they observe, the pilots observing the scientists to make sure they're yeah. not going to freak out, huh. right? And okay. so in the thousands of dives that Alvin has completed, they've only had to abort, to my knowledge, one dive because one of the scientists freaked out at the last minute and was like, no, I can't do it. I can't go down. Oh, does everyone kind of give that guy a hard time? Uh, we don't talk about it. <laughs> is he still? Is he still in the business, or did he just have? A, um, she a, was a young she, she, student, did, and and no, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I mean, not so for that, if you were going to freak person. out, they wouldn't let you go down. They would have. <laughs> they would have caught you during your safety check and seen you start to sweat and. Well, so I went. I went caving. I was in uh, England over the summer, and I went caving. And I was like, "Give me the." I, I didn't realize until afterwards that this like professional caver like wouldn't normally have just like taken a first time caver on 
something this intense like usually like guide people into it but i was like there with a friend who was like a friend with the cave and and, the, and they're like how hard i was like how give slippery. me the <laughs> give me the full one. spinal tap 11 <laughs> uh and and because that's just how i roll and i i like to get myself in over my head and i was i mean it was intense there, there was this passage uh, like a spider walk where you, you need to like walk sideways there's a a wall in front of you a wall behind you and you're and you're walking like and he didn't tell me how far it was and um in, in and the states, I thought, those I would all be called be like, like lemon squeezers or fat man's misery or something some yeah, name like that i thought it was gonna be like 30 feet or something or like around a couple bends it was um it was like two miles it took like uh <laughs> three hours oh of walking and i got stuck at one point and no, i was no. just like if you were really oh. stuck you'd still be there yeah 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 that's, you just got slowed down I momentarily. Got, yeah i had well it was it, I, it was like 30 seconds where i panicked because i did get slowed down momentarily for a minute and i i could like picture myself just stuck under the earth and i'm like a an adrenaline junkie and i i like handle these sort of situations quite well usually but i was like because after i i didn't know that like usually you do like the baby steps or whatever first because I, I was like don't people freak out like when they're here and he's like oh sometimes <laughs> and he said and this is uh, it's just reminding me of this with the summer he goes i was like what do you say to them and he's like i say look a lot of times in life there's like a escape hatch or like a little button that you can press and like someone can get you out of the situation and you can be like, I don't want to do this anymore and you can leave. This is not one of those situations. <laughs> like you put yourself in this position. You need to get yourself out of this position. And that must be what submarine life is like in a way. Yeah, and I have been in the submarine when it was momentarily slowed down. Oh, my goodness. Um, and it's the same thing you just described. Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CHAMPION, and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Yeah, and I have been in the submarine when it was momentarily slowed down. Oh my goodness. Um, and it's the same thing you just described. 
but different in the sense that I'm not the pilot, right? I'm a scientist. I'm the one that's trying to do the science. I'm not driving ever, the controls. And come on, they must let you like. I have driven the yeah, submarine, but only have. in very safe okay. circumstances. I did not get it stuck. <laughs> all right, <laughs> that was, all right. And there is that tense several minutes, as you know, that the pilot is. It's it's kind of like getting stuck in the snow when you're driving the car. You try to jostle, you accelerate, you go Oof. in reverse, you go, and so you just. But as a scientist, <laughs> I'm sitting there. It's like being a passenger in that car. Oh and, my goodness! And I'm not a going car, to say anything. A car that you can't get out That's of and right. call for help. That's right. Well, you can call for help, and all they will do is hear your call for help. They can't do anything. They can't do anything. They can't throw another one down there to get stuck. <laughs> yeah, the spare start. sub that they keep in the back. No. <laughs> no, there's really nothing they can do. There are a lot of, like I said, the there ultimate. There has to be. If you can, if you can get some uh, couple miners out of a cave and like get Elon Musk involved and all these other. Like, well, there is James Cameron. One could, you know, he's the okay. movie director who did the you Titanic. You have to. So you you get stuck. I, I I mean, have you ever thought about getting stuck on purpose just to meet? James no, Cameron? absolutely not. Because I you, you got you got it. So you look at what James Cameron's done, right? There. He's built his own submarine yeah. and his own. So he's either um, a really altruistic guy who's just interested in in exploring more about the oceans, or he's a supervillain planning to take over the world. Right? The requirements yeah. are about the same. I mean, there's a few different other options. I, I really. Mean, some people might use the word eccentric, you know. I, mean, I don't know, man. Uh, when you look at the stuff I, I, he's planning I, and doing, so I, I, I would mean, not. I, I mean, this is like it's it's more impressive than a Guggenheim Bible. I'll tell you that much. Especially because it's a Gutenberg Bible, but Gutenberg, I agree. Gutenberg, <laughs> yeah, Gutenheim, Gutenberg. It's okay. I, I don't even. What is the? It, I, it's a I, museum. I it's an architectural the oh, Guggenheim Museum. Oh, yeah. that's what the. It, but what's it the, contains what's famous the Bible situation Gutenberg. From? It's a. It's a printing press in germany that that was the first printed bible as opposed to one that was hand oh, copied was by tired monks printed okay yeah. that's what the deal first was. printing press i was just pretending like i, I know it's good so that the, the, like, it's for the listeners yeah, yeah. you know we all got it out in the air yeah, it's good. So we have a it's m- good. much more honest relationship yeah, yeah, and everything um so has there ever been a uh like uh Boy, I'm, I'm going to get dark here. Has there ever been a challenger type situation? No, this is this is one of the things that's great about the Alvin submersible is that its safety record is impeccable. It did sink in the late 1960s. Um, while they were they they used to launch the submarine um, by disconnecting it from the ship, and while the submarine's floating on the surface, a little boat would zoom up to it and disgorge the scientists and the pilot. They would climb in through the top of the submarine. During this process, a rogue wave came and glurped into the submarine after everybody was on board the sub, but before it uh, the hatch had closed. So the submarine flooded. Everybody got out. I've talked to one of the scientists who was in the sub, and asked him to tell me what happened. And he said, I have absolutely no idea except that I got out, right? Mm. It was a terrifying adrenaline rush and somehow he levitated out of the submarine. And the submarine spent um, almost a year on the bottom of the ocean. Um, And it was recovered. And when they pulled it up, um, and, and we still use that same submarine, right? All the computer uh, equipment was was replaced. Um, and so it, if you look inside the submarine, it still looks like a bad Star Trek set because... It no, was, no one was like, let's make a new submarine. No, too expensive. That's a titanium sphere, man. Yeah. Um, no, 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 way too expensive. So they pulled it back up and refurbished it and 
and it has not, they've changed the way they launch the sub, so that's not going to happen again. So there's never been a death or an injury associated with the submarine. This is in contrast, the Russians have a submarine that can go down uh, to similar depths, and they have lost people. Um, hypothermia, they froze to death. Oh. The bottom of Didn't the ocean. Didn't think about that part. Yeah, right. The bottom of the ocean is cold. Um, yeah. It is everywhere four degrees Celsius, which is just above freezing. So it's in Fahrenheit. What is that? 38 degrees Fahrenheit. So imagine sitting there at 48, 38 degrees Fahrenheit. You're going to get cold. Yeah. Um, and what we do in, in uh, the Alvin submarine, you know, is... I, I climb in at the tropics where it's 90 degrees and I'm wearing shorts and a T-shirt. But we stash in the submarine blankets and sweatpants and hats and gloves so that. Uh, we slowly get more clothes on as the dive progresses. I mean, the, this cruise ship gig you're trying to sell me on is just sounding less and less appealing. Yeah, uh, the remember more, the, the bathroom problem we're, too, we're right? Talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. We need to know. People it is, need to it know. It is a question that I am asked probably uh, most of frequently. Course, is of course. How do you go to the bathroom I mean, I on the submarine? I was going to avoid it. You know, I'm just, I'm a little above that. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. a very sophisticated individual. But uh, <laughs> You keep for, going, Ahab. For, this is great. <laughs> for, uh, but for our listeners, the people need to know. I mean, imagine the hate mail that I would get. If I didn't ask you about the bathroom situation, well, it's a, it's it's a real situation, right? Yeah, of it's course. not so. The dives last about eight hours, but that means you're in the submarine for closer to nine hours. So, mm. um, on a dive, I will climb into the submarine at eight, and I'm usually out of the submarine at five, right? So eight to five, and of course, there's no bathroom. There's only enough air for three people to last three days. There's no room for a bathroom, so um, everyone gets one of those little. Little red bottles with a funnel attached to it. And you know, you know yeah. the little red bottles. The, like, the little travel urinals, right? Yeah, Everybody sure. has a few of those everyone in their car, has, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But everyone, literally every individual going in the submarine is specifically assigned their own individual bottle. It's called a HERE bottle, which is an acronym for Human Endurance Range Extender. Mm -hmm. And it is your responsibility to check to make sure that the seal works on the HERE bottle before you go down in the submarine. And if you use the HERE bottle, it's your responsibility to clean it out and return it to the next user. I mean, this is, uh, this is one more reason to not serve alcohol on this cruise Oh, my ship God. The French have a submarine, and they send it down with a bottle of wine. <laughs> really? So you can have wine with your lunch at the bottom of, of the ocean. Of <laughs> course they do. I don't know if I love or hate that. I, I'm jealous. That's uh, all I'm yeah. going to say. So, I mean, there just has to be, excuse me, really just going after some low-hanging fruit here, but there has to be a no-pooping rule on the, I mean, it's eight hours it, you know, you you just have to if if like if you didn't do it beforehand, sorry. Guess what? You're just gonna have to wait six hours. So I am not aware of any formal rule, but I'm also not aware of anybody I've ever met who says, "Wow, I can't wait to poop in the summer." Yeah, right? I it's, mean, it's you, an unspoken. Yeah. We get it. Yeah, so it has happened because people get oh. motion sickness, or sometimes there's some kind of crud that floats around the ship. And oh, while you deal with your motion sickness, why are you giving us all motion sickness? Because you know, so humans are complicated and messy. <laughs> yeah, and. This is why I like volcanoes. Okay, okay. <laughs> all, all right. Well, 
let's use that to transition nicely into um, some uh, uh, some some more meaningful questions. Uh, let, let's say whatever that means, um, whatever meaningfulness means. Um, why are we putting humans in these things anyway? What what are humans doing in this submarine that now in 2019 uh, a robot can't be sent down with a remote control to do? That's a really good question. And in fact, robots are being sent down, uh, some with remote control. Um, some are free. They're called autonomous benthic vehicles um, or autonomous underwater vehicles, depending on who you talk to. And you program them on the deck of the ship and you chuck them overboard and they go down and do their thing and then come back to the ship and and you collect the data. Um there is, in my opinion, no substitute for the human presence. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about that. One is on the moon. I know this is kind of weird. We're jumping all over the solar system. But Apollo 17, there were, th there were two men on the moon. One of them was actually a trained geologist. He held a PhD in geology. His name was Jack Schmidt. And he is a, a professor in Wisconsin now. Mm. And... He was walking across the surface of the moon, and out of the corner of his eye, he saw a patch of orange on the surface of the moon. Everything on the moon was gray, 256 shades of gray on the moon. And to see color caught his eye. He turned, he looked, he radioed Houston and said, dudes, can I stop and take a sample? This is really cool. And and what he ended up finding was evidence of- I, I love that that's how he said it, too. I'm sure hey, it's exactly hey, what bros. he said. <laughs> Bros, I got some sweet color up here. Actually, if you listen to the transcripts, that's what he shouts. Orange! It's orange! He huh. was very exciting. Um, so they granted him permission to take the time, and the orange soil that he brought back completely changed our idea of how volcanoes work on the moon. It turns out he found evidence of volcanoes exploding on the moon, and no one thought that was possible before he brought this stuff back. Had he been a robot, had he been a rover, that would have been missed entirely mm. because he caught it out of the corner of his eye. It was the human peripheral vision and the human perception and the recognition that this was something important. It wouldn't have happened with a mm. robot. I see the same thing in the submarine. So when I'm in the submarine, I'm looking out a window on the port side, the pilot's looking out the front, the other scientist is looking at the starboard side. We're continually talking to each other. Oh my gosh, I think I saw something really cool over here. Can you turn this way? Let's go this way. Let's deviate. If you're in, if you're using the um, autonomous vehicle, the one that you program on board and check it over, you can't tell what it saw till it comes back. And so there's no way to pursue something that it might have observed. Like, oh, that's really cool. I wonder what that was. Well, now we'll never know because we. We lost it. We can't go back. Mm. If it's remote controlled live time, you miss that. Anything that's out of the programmed field of view, you miss. You just don't see it. There could be fascinating things happening just out of the field of view and we'll never know. Mm. But in the submarine with the human presence, you literally catch these things in the distance or, or see them out of the corner of your eye and you talk to the other people and the other observers and you can make those decisions about, oh my God, there's fascinating science over there. Let's go that way. And I strongly believe because of that that while there's an enormous value to sending robots and rovers and all this stuff it's a lot safer it's a lot cheaper no pooping exactly a lot cleaner there's really no 
uh, nothing that can compare with the human eyeballs and the human brain in real time making those assessments and decisions. Well, it must be worth something because it's expensive yes, it to is. do that. It I is. Mean, compared to sending a tool down. Absolutely. Um, and and uh, because, you know, you're kind of, you're, I must say, you know, I can be a bit of a stubborn fool sometimes, and you are selling me on astronauts a little bit because I'm a contrarian. I I like to go against the grain. I like getting people to question things, and I have been on an anti-astronaut kick for some time. They're a little oversold to us. Oh, we're all, we're all, all the children are supposed to be astronauts, are they? How many astronauts do we need? What are they really doing up there anyway? Like, I, it, because to me, and I said, you know, you already know my point of view because I expressed this a bit last night. I mean, and I, I was not saying this to Pander. I've said this to many people before I ever met you. Look in the ocean. Look how interesting it is. There is life abundant. You're up there. People think you're going to like, oh, what if there's an alien or something like that in some other galaxy? Wouldn't that be something? There probably is. Who cares? There's a zillion aliens under the ocean that you can go and see for yourself. Maybe you can discover new medicines. Maybe you can discover new ways of of the way in which life can communicate who knows what you could actually discover and we're shooting people up onto space rocks and give them a whole parade and meanwhile no one's talking about uh, no one's talking about the ocean the people in the submarines on their pathetic little quote-unquote cruises that aren't <laughs> at all cruises it should be a cruise you guys should have your own big cruise ship all to yourselves to go out there it should be a whole celebration there should be it should just be you guys in a bunch of film crews of various news organizations celebrating what you're doing instead it's everyone cares but like oh the fight look at the Look at the ship goes up and like, oh, wow, there's like flames coming. Like, what is, it's just a fireworks show. It doesn't, they're not doing that much. And so that's been my point of view for a while. And then you just, you got me with the, the person seeing the orange. I was like, okay, well, maybe I need people in space. So you might be changing my mind a little bit. But what do you, what do you, what do you think's going on there? Why, why is uh, someone, again, this is going to sound like I'm pandering to you. I swear to you, this is a real opinion that I have. Why, why are we not interested in the bottom of the ocean in the same way that we're interested in going to the moon or something that we've already been to? So I honestly think part of that is popular culture. So um, I grew up, um, probably my first television crush was Mr. Spock on Star Trek, right? So I grew up with this uh, concept of interstellar. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, with interstellar travel, right? As this was something uh, that should just happen. And then, and then the Star Wars generation. And every year when I teach my classes, my intro geology classes, I have students who are convinced we've already been to Mars. We've already sent people to other solar systems because they've seen it on television. Mm -hmm. 
which is a bad thing, um, obviously. But um, I think there is this enormous popular culture associated with space. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to come up very quickly now with a television series or a movie that is about uh, underwater exploration. Go. Time's up. There's like a uh, closest thing I can think of is like Jar Jar Binks living Oh my God. See, ocean. and that's a Star that's Wars like, movie, right? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So I think that's part of it is that our popular culture is permeated with space and space as an ideal. And it has not been permeated with I mean, there's there's something going on with like, why is like getting high good up, heaven's up, like the sky's the limit. It it must be because we evolved to like fight against gravity and that's like, and there's always been this kind of upward like yearning or something like that. Or you see birds flying around, you know, you see a bird flying around, you go, that's fantastic. Wish I could do that. You can't really see what's going on. Our ancestors couldn't see what was going on under the ocean so so maybe there's something like that no uh, I, I think that's absolutely right so you can have you know everybody has looked up at the night sky i hope and admired the stars and and maybe seen a meteor shower or a shooting star or got to see a comet um and and i hope everybody's had a chance to do that but you know i grew up in iowa i didn't see the ocean I, until I, I, I hope, you know i hope here's what i hope i hope i have a listener that's like never seen the stars before never looked up they're just like now coming up with this idea (laughs) like i should look up and see the stars if if we can accomplish that if we can reach that person and tell and have them look up then this is great then everything is going great in the right direction I do think that your comment about how people have looked up for centuries and and imagined what it would be like to fly, right? The famous Greek and Roman myths about trying to fly. There aren't those same myths about trying to go to the bottom of the ocean. And I think your comment about you can see space, you can't see the bottom of the ocean. Mm -hmm. And so it's harder to imagine that as a destination, I think. So uh, I... I love, love, love these ocean documentaries, Blue Planet, the, the these sorts of things. And it's, I mean, I mean, it's tough to say. Sure, some of it might be because of my drug use. But regardless, I think objectively, anyone can see this stuff. And, and it's just so beautiful and fascinating. My question, you get in the submarine... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just so so. You know, you, you so, some listener right now is just like, "This sounds great. I'm gonna be an explorer." I saw this. I saw this Blue Planet documentary. Cool. You get to see these weird aliens down there. Can't wait. You get in the submarine. You get down there. What are you actually seeing when when you get down? I mean, it's it's dark down there. It right? is dark. <laughs> yeah. So the whole ride. Um, because the submarine's battery powered to save battery, um, when to, to go down to the bottom of the ocean, we pack about 500 pounds of scrap iron on the outside of the submarine so that it is negatively buoyant. That means it will sink. Um, and so when it launches, it just sinks. Um, the pilots hate it when we say that, so we're supposed to say it descends, but it just under its own weight, goes down to the bottom of the ocean. And the places that I study are called mid-ocean ridges. There are these lines of volcanoes on the bottom of the ocean. And everywhere, they're about 2,500 meters below sea level. So 2.5 kilometers is a couple of miles. 
Um, and it takes about an hour and 15 minutes to get to the bottom. You know, it's not really a bad commute. And as you go down, the the light near the surface, the, the waters are this beautiful azure turquoise blue. And as you descend, it gets darker and darker. And when you get to about 300 feet, uh, there's no more sunlight. It's pitch black. But if you look out the window, you can see what look like little constellations of stars or, or galaxies sort of exploding. And what's happened is you have the submarine mm. has bumped into algae mm. that uh, glows when it gets Wonderful. touched. It's a defense mechanism. Oh. And so as we're descending, even though it's pitch black, it's like there's there's Amazing. galaxies out the window. So I always go down with my eyes glued to the window. A lot of other scientists, this is the only They're time they relax. It. They're sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I like to look, and so uh, do, do, do they mock you for still being interested? Like, oh, no, they're okay, sleeping. Rocky, <laughs> or, or, Rocky, rookie <laughs> is what I tried to say. I said Rocky for some anyway. Yo, Adrian. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I mean that uh, as you're as you're describing this, because as someone who flies quite a bit, you know, I, I, boy. My my first time when I when I started flying like 15 years ago, I was like, "Whoa, I get to like fly around the country." And I'm like looking out the window, "Holy, whoa, clouds! I've never seen them from this angle before." And you know, you you put a hundred thousand miles uh, a, a year under your belt over 15 years and. The novelty starts wearing off a little bit afterwards, and I kind of have to like force myself to appreciate because now I'm, as you mentioned earlier, I am quite tall. I'm almost six four. I'm on this crowded seat. It's not the most comfortable here. I feel a little foolish complaining to you about the comfort of a plane uh, right now <laughs> with your submarine bathroom situation, but. Um, uh, but reg regardless, um, is it, I mean, first off, how often are you going down and, uh, to wh what, what are the things want, I want to know what you're over, like over it. And then I want to know the things that like, you just look forward to the most every single time is the LG. So I'm a I'm a geologist, not a biologist. So the algae is fascinating, but that's not what I'm there for. Right. So that's not what I look forward to. Um, what well, I look forward to. Well, I know you're to. looking forward to your work, <laughs> but I, I'm I'm saying like the in the journey. So I'm one of those people that um, I've been I've been flying for a lot longer than you have, and I'm still fighting for the window seat. I uh, my fascination is still just as intense as it was when huh. I was a little kid on my first flight. Uh, maybe I'm just a um, miserable person. It's, well, you're you're uncomfortable. You're you're eating your kneecaps, so you've got yeah, other yeah. things to think about. Huh. Um, and so every single time I get in the submarine, I feel so lucky. I that that I have this opportunity that is afforded so few people. And uh, every time I go on a research cruise, um, I will get to go on the submarine. And how many times I get to go on the submarine depends on how long the cruise is and how many other people are on the ship. And someone asked me once, how many times have I been in the submarine? And I, I'm not, I, 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 I can't remember. I mean, I'd have to look at my records because... 
even when I'm not in the submarine, I'm talking to the people who are in the submarine. As soon as the submarine comes back to the surface, I'm looking at all of the images and, and videotape and, and, and photographs. I'm listening to the, the recordings of what they were saying. And the, so it's like I was on the submarine. Even you are I'm a submarine. There. You're I, just a submarine. I am now. one with the sub. Um, <laughs> And so what I look forward to the most is always we when you get down to the bottom and turn the lights on, right? So to save battery power, we're just sinking down in the dark, okay. right? It's dark. It's quiet. There's no lights on inside the submarine. Um, well, no, there are very dim lights on in the submarine and, and the pilot gets to choose the CDs. So we listen to the whatever music the pilot chooses on the way down. And, and then suddenly... The inside of the submarine, the it starts, you know, the business starts happening, right? Lights start flickering. There's a little television monitor by my window that shows me what's being recorded on the videotape while we're there so I can make sure that we're recording the right things. And the lights come on, and it takes a few minutes to... Um, uh, equalize the submarine so we drop the extra weight so we stop sinking and if you listen really carefully you can hear the crunch of that 250 pounds of scrap iron hit the young lavas at the ocean floor wow. um, so I love that every time um, and then uh, mm. it takes a few minutes and the lights are on and I'm just straining my eyes out the window trying to see what kind of geology I can see what kind of lava flows are out there and these are solidified lava flows they're not red hot moving lava flows they're young they might only be a couple years old uh, but they're not glowing red so when I say lava flows I mean you know they're not red hot they're They've stopped moving. They're just waiting for us to study them. Uh -huh. um, and and then once the submarines reached equilibrium, then we can settle down till we're only about two to five meters above the seafloor. Multiply that by three to get feet. So, you know, six to 15 feet above the seafloor. That's our cruising altitude. And then I can really see where we are. And uh, I can see... Sometimes the sparkle of uh, really glassy, fresh lava flows that cooled so fast, crystals didn't have time to grow, so they're frozen glass. If it were on land, we'd call it obsidian. Um, and then sometimes you'll see a fish swimming by, or one time, oh my gosh, this was in the Galapagos. I'm looking out the window, and uh, I saw, I swear to God, what was a frozen chicken float by the window it was the same color it was the same what? shape right and so i maybe it was maybe well, it was just a bit of garbage so this is what i'm thinking right did somebody okay. throw the, the ships the things aren't supposed to be thrown off the ship when there's a submarine down there right. for pretty obvious reasons and so i asked the hey, other guys in the sub, right, exactly what the hell and i said what do you guys see <laughs> and i literally said chickens why there? is it raining chickens on this seamount right sure <laughs> so we nobody Nobody had seen, nobody in the submarine had seen these things before. And as I, as we pause in our descent so we can watch these things, one of them comes right up to the window. Like I said, it's the size and shape of a frozen chicken, but one of them has this sort of frill that unfurls like an umbrella around it as it comes up close to the window. It's got two of them, one on either end. And I'm like, what the hell? So I'm taking pictures out of the window, which yeah. is just as effective as taking pictures out of your car window or out of an airplane window. So they weren't great, right. but. And I get back, uh, when we get back on on deck at the end of the dive, I showed pictures of these to everybody, and nobody had seen anything like this before. So I thought, oh my gosh, we've discovered a new species. Because yeah. at by the time I was done taking pictures, there were dozens of these things falling through the water out all of our windows. It was like we were in a storm of frozen chickens, right? Huh. 
And it turns out we had to send the images around to different biologists that we knew. And it turns out that they were a species of swimming sea cucumber. And we just happened to run into their annual party. They were all looking for some action and we were just in the way. Yeah. Oh, wow. So. you know, the, I don't want to close my eyes when I'm in, going in the submarine. You never, you have no idea what you might miss. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. could have missed the annual swimming sea cucumber party and if they, I had. Sea cucumbers don't party for long. They eventually and they don't, plant themselves and eat their own brain. Yeah, and they don't usually swim either. Right. So it, anyway, yeah. so I never close my eyes and I never know what I'm going to see. And so I am... The hardest thing for me is to talk slow enough into my, because I'm ta- making my observations into a tape recorder or a, uh, what do we call them now? I'm showing my age. A voice recorder. Oh, yeah, voice um, recorder. While I'm looking out the window, uh, so I, so all of my observations are, so I don't have to look away to write things down. I'm just talking my observations. Uh-huh. And my biggest challenge is always to just keep my voice at a slow enough speed so that when I listen to it again, I can understand what I'm saying. You ever get like a, a real like a, a, like a snoozy Shane in, in the situation in there. You, you said there's some scientists uh, that that'll sleep on the way down the algae. You ever get like you're about to turn the lights on and like you're you're sitting there bright eyed with your face pressed again, like with your and and they're and they're just like yeah frozen chicken things there, we get it most <laughs> like, people are are not like that but there is the occasional like i was at sea once with a biologist who uh, even when he was in the submarine he never looked out the window he I, only looked at the video screen oh. he only looked at what was being recorded i'm like why why are you here <laughs> you, you know well you know what i like to do in life is i like to take things for granted as much as i can the more things i can find to take for granted the better i'm trying to just amass more things to take for granted i can't wait um I, I, and uh so i i do feel i feel like i feel like i'd be a bit of a buzzkill uh in in the submarine but um i i i mean there there one when you're talking about taking pictures out of the through the window what there's not cameras on this thing what's there going are on? but at the time we saw the frozen chickens to save battery power they hadn't been turned on yet oh but okay. my handheld camera was ready to go and the handhelds anything you bring in the submarine has to go through a pressure test okay. so i mean all right it, it, another question i feel like we aren't even getting to your work at all it's just you it, it, i'm sorry <laughs> for that it's just what you do is like fascinating from from start to finish, I mean, I'll just have to have you on uh, again some other, oh my gosh, look at this. We're almost done with this podcast. We haven't even touched your work. Lava's awesome. This is just, <laughs> I, oh crap. Um, I'm, I'm now just, re- time just zipped right by. I'm now realizing I should ask a question with some kind of substance, but I also am like, I'm just obsessed with the submarine. I'm like, what? Why? What's the battery situation? Why? Why are we needing to save batteries? And we only have so. They haven't figured that out in the oh, last. Oh, these like, are these are great batteries. Years. What? Yeah, no, they're they the batteries will keep us on the bottom for. Uh, there's a pretty good safety margin. Um, 
And most of the reason that we need to, uh, uh, to get up by 5 p.m. is union rules, right? The, the pilots work in eight-hour days. We got to get them up there. But right. um, we, if, if you decide to move the submarine through some pretty bizarre machinations on the seafloor, you chew up battery power. And the last place you want to be when the battery dies is two miles beneath the surface. So um, they're good batteries. They, we can, they charge overnight. They can be used every day. And that is unique among the science community. There are other places, other countries that have submarines, but none of them can dive every day with the safety record that we have. Oh. Gosh, here's another just, I mean, first off, I don't know if this is a great question or the worst I've asked so far. And again, I'm just like being overwhelmed with guilt right now by not talking about geology and volcanoes. But I need to know about this pilot. Is he, is he having a good time? Is he, I mean, because uh, you, you go, like I went skydiving once, you know, you, you, you got the pilot goes up there and like, you know, the people in the back about to jump out of the plane are having a, a bit more adrenaline going than, than this guy just trying to get his hours for his, for his license or whatever. What, what's going on with him? Is he, is he excited about these frozen chickens when he's down there? What, what, what's, what's the personality like of a submarine pilot? Well, they're, uh, each one is unique. I'll say that. Um, the pilots, uh, typically when you go on a research cruise, there's at least two pilots and usually three. Um, they are not allowed to go down two days in a row because it's an incredibly stressful position. The pilots are, um, they know everything there is to know about the submarine. They Each individual pilot could take the submarine apart and put it back together by themselves if they had to. And so I feel really safe when I'm down there with these pilots. Um, they love their jobs. They are incredibly professional while they're in the submarine and when they're on shore leave they're just like any other sailors who spend eight months of their life at sea um and they're they're brilliant and incredibly helpful in that they know they're down there to help you do your science so one of the things that we always do on the way down is a chat with a pilot where the pilot says okay what are you looking for what do you want me to keep my eyes out for when i see what you're looking for, let, you know, I'll shout it out and we can turn this up and look at, so they, they are active participants in helping us do our science. You ever, you ever get like, uh, they ever do, do like a little loop or something? A little, <laughs> a little barrel roll? Yeah, no, yeah. the submarine does not go upside oh. down. It will cut cookies though. It'll go in tight circles. Okay. Uh, if you need it to. And and that's good because sometimes you need that 360 degree view, right? But you, you ever right. you ever cut a cookie just for just for kicks? You ever are you ever able to just nudge the pilot, be like, let's I, show me some razzle dazzle. There's there's never a need to just ask for that because not, there's always a science about... justification. Oh, I right? See. I can always say, I need I to see. see this. I need to see Very can clever. you do this? And yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you you do what you need to do in the name of science. All right. I'm realizing now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't have a big time constraint right now if we did like a couple extra minutes, right? Mm, that's be fine. okay. Yep, that's fine. I feel like we should probably talk about volcanoes. This is Yeah, why <laughs> am I going to the bottom of the ocean, is, for example? This is uh I, I mean uh, this is when I'd normally be wrapping up and here I am. We haven't <laughs> we haven't even we haven't even touched your work. I mean, this is your fault. The things that you do are too interesting. I understand. It happens a lot. I mean, this is, you must be, it like, it, it, what, what about first off, your, 
you're married, right? I am. Your your husband. You, you guys you guys go to the cocktail party <laughs> together, and yeah. So, so there's and, your and, first and, assumption and, that's and, wrong. And yeah, <laughs> you go to the social gathering yeah. uh, together. You meet a bunch of strangers. They find out what each of you do. How annoyed is your husband by the attention that you're getting? Well, it's pretty straightforward. If I want the attention, I introduce myself as a volcanologist. People <laughs> are like, oh, that's really cool. If I don't yeah. want the attention, I say I'm a geologist, and they're like, what the oh, hell is yeah. that? So That's a solid move. I can gauge the crowd and react uh, accordingly. Do I want to talk to these yeah. people? And that's what I do on airplanes, actually. If the person sitting next to you... I'm going to start using geologist, too, because... Um, uh, well, I mean, the the problem is, is like if they uh, if there's a follow up question, I'm screwed. But um, I can uh, just imagine if sit- someone knows you're a comedian. Oh my god! Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> Game over. <laughs> it's the worst situation imaginable. <laughs> um, yeah, you get into comedy as a as a young person, being like, I want people to think I'm a real important person, and then and then you. And then you start doing, I love the look on your face, by the way. That was appropriate. Yeah, I feel foolish about it as well. Um, I was a child when yes, I came well. up with this idea. We all were and, once, okay. and And then, uh, and then you, you do it, you become a comedian, and then it's just like nothing but endless, like irritating. And you're expected to be funny all the time. Yeah, that's, that's the worst. I actually don't mind talking shop. Someone like actually asked me about like, the actual work mm. like how how does it work uh, like how much do you travel how much like money do you make? how do you r- rise out how do you get start sure like how do you write jokes something like that that's all fine i can have a fine conversation about that the nightmare is is people are just like so what's like your punchline i uh in your mind i have a punchline and that's like how I make a living. And then <laughs> with my one punchline, and I'm going to de- deliver my one punchline to you, a non-paying <laughs> stranger <laughs> on an airplane. Yeah, well, try I, geologist. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing geologist. Okay, 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 okay. Gosh, let's talk about volcanoes. You know, you know how interesting your work is? is that volcanoes are very interesting. People love volcanoes. They're exploding. It's amazing. What's not to like when we haven't even talked about them yet? That's that's how interesting what you do is. All right. <laughs> volcanoes. Why do we care? Volcano no. 101. So... It- Volcano 101. Um, so I'm interested in volcanoes. Um, I kind of explain my job to my my mother as I'm I'm like a CSI uh, a crime scene investigator in that what I have, I go visit a volcano after it's erupted. So I have kind of the equivalent of the chalk outline of the body. And my job is to figure out what happened. How did it get that way? And the reason I care about how a volcano erupted or how the lava flowed is because the only predictor we have of future behavior for a volcano is its past behavior. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what it did the last time it erupted. So the next time it starts to act like it's going to erupt, we can make predictions and help people save their lives and their property. And um, I hope you're not implying that my 
past habits and behavior through all of my life are going to continue. Well, that's a really good point because (laughs) if you were a volcano, that's exactly how we would Ah, predict your future behavior. And uh, and you have the power of telling us whether we'd be right or wrong. Mm. And volcanoes don't have that that. power, right? So it's a at some level, it is. there's some luck involved, right? Will this volcano, like a person, continue to behave the way it always has? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to evolve and develop some new characteristic and do something completely is it different? start doing yoga? Right, right. Or just meditate, <laughs> yeah. right? We don't know. Um, and so the best we can do is look at what a volcano has done in the past and hope that it continues to behave the same way in the future. So... Mm. Um, I don't. Maybe your listeners will remember uh, in 1991 when Pinatubo erupted in the Philippines and and uh, really affected the U.S. air base there. When when Pinatubo started uh, shaking, it was little earthquakes that were caused by magma moving beneath the volcano that first indicated something was happening. Uh, people were not aware it was even an active volcano. They thought it had gone to sleep forever. That it was done. Mm. And uh, so we really had no good evidence of its past behavior because we hadn't been looking at it. We hadn't been studying it. And so what it was going to do in the future was uh, really hard to figure out. First off, who thought it was asleep? Real estate agents? Is that is that who was like selling the... Oh, yeah, don't mind the volcano there. Well, it's, the Philippines is full of volcanoes, right? Yeah. They're everywhere you look. And and so, yeah, it was the real estate... I mean, the U.S. built an airbase there. They wouldn't have done that if it was a rattling and rolling volcano, right? Uh-huh. The assumption was it was going to... Everything was going to be fine. Um, and, of course, everybody... There's a lot of people who live around volcanoes because volcanoes, when they explode ash and that ash goes onto the ground ash is a great fertilizer you know not right away it takes a few years for rain to break down the ash but it really nourishes the soil and so people love to live and farm and work around volcanoes and uh the problem is that the human time scale right the life cycle of a human is a hell of a lot shorter than the life cycle of a volcano so people can say, oh, this volcano's fine. It's, I've lived here for 70 years and it's never done anything. Well, that's, that's fine. We consider a volcano to be active if it's erupted sometime in the last 10,000 years. And so it's that contrast of the lifetime of a volcano, which can be uh, a couple million years, versus the lifetime of a person. And uh, those two don't match up, and that's where the hazards come in. Mm. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I should be... More or less scared of volcanoes? More. Than I, more scared of volcanoes. I wasn't respecting volcanoes enough. Well, you don't hear, there's not a lot of volcano phobia going on around there. Like, people are scared of flying. They're scared of spiders. You don't you don't meet too many people. It's just like, what's your fear in life? It's, it's Volcanoes. It's because in your lifetime, you're going to run into a hell of a lot of spiders. But how many active volcanoes are you going to run into? Right. And that's this time scale I was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Your average human in North America lifetime, 75 years. There might not be a single eruption on the continental U.S. in 75 years. But there'll be a hell of a lot of spiders. So mm-hmm. it's that it's the... It's the timescale problem. Uh, a good example is outside of Mount Rainier in Washington, there's a pretty expensive subdivision with um, half million dollar houses that are built right on a mud flow that was caused by an eruption 500 years ago. Hmm. And these houses are built right on top of it, right on top of it. That's a good real estate agent. Uh, well, the real estate agent might not have even known, hmm. right? It's not something that's well advertised. <laughs> it's advertised as scenery. 
look at the beautiful view. You know, when it's a clear day, you can see the volcano. Isn't that lovely? And because it hasn't erupted in people's memory, they're like, it's fine. Yeah, this is this perfect place for a foundation. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Huh. Um, okay. Uh, I, I mean, oh gosh, how do we cover volcano stuff in such a short amount of time? I mean, I want to ask about uh, the, the role that volcanoes had in the creation of earth and land and life as we know it. I also want to know about the future and if if we're going to harness these things. I want to I want to know about if this geothermal stuff is is an actual feasible avenue to look down. I want to I want to know um, how how good we're getting at predicting volcano eruptions. So there's Do you want me to answer all of those really fast? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I. It's uh, this is tricky. Yeah. Um. Wh- why don't you're the ex? You're the volcano expert here. Um. Th- those. There's three topics. Okay. You can either answer all of them. I think um, I'll. I'll, like, I'll give I, a, I'm not in a huge hurry or anything like that. I'll, I'll give a shot out, at. I'll give a shot we, at. We have him maybe and, like ten minutes. Okay. Right. Well, that's I. I can do this in ten minutes. So. Okay. Geothermal energy. Um, Yes, that is absolutely something that's worth pursuing. And in fact, the country of Iceland is entirely run on geothermal energy, right? So Iceland is an island nation that is built on top of a whole bunch of volcanoes. And they actively use the geothermal energy that is generated by the magma and uh, use that to run their country. So, Have have you been to Iceland? Many times. Oh, my God. See, this is like, uh, listen, I have. You're going to have to come back. I mean, I have no. I'm just saying, like, I have I have about fifty thousand listeners or so for this podcast. I think you just created like two thousand new volcano <laughs> researchers because this is there's gonna be people uh, with light bulbs going off in, in there, uh, like what. This is, this is such a, you get to travel around to all these fantastic places. You're going under the ocean. You go to Hawaii and stuff too, right? Absolutely. Volcanoes in yep. Hawaii. You got to yep. get to Hawaii for Absolutely. work. Yep. You have the great, you have the best academic job I've ever heard of. Yeah. This is like, you're well, no wonder you have such a delightful disposition. You're so, I mean, your job is incredible. It is. I'm really, really lucky. So not only do I get to study volcanoes on Earth, so I've been to Iceland, um, Hawaii. Um, we call Idaho the poor man's Hawaii. Um, just outside of Yellowstone, There's. it's called the Eastern Snake River Plain. And for uh, listeners of a certain age, they've probably only heard of uh, the Snake River because Evil Knievel failed to jump over it. But it's uh, all these lava flows. Um, and it's actually still an active, volcanically active place. Uh, so I've been there a lot. It's cheaper to go there than Hawaii. I've studied volcanoes in Peru, um, bottom of the ocean. I feel like I'm missing something, but you know, that's, but I also study volcanoes. Um, I get funding from NASA to look at volcanoes on Mars, on Venus. Um, I'm studying volcanoes on the moon and Jupiter's moon Io. So I don't care where the volcanoes are. I'm interested in them no matter what. You you ever, you ever talk to NASA and be like, I gotta, well, it's just too hard from through these pictures. I gotta take a closer look. You better shoot me up there. 
So I uh, I had a dream of being an astronaut. I'm now too old, but what? I am very happily uh, and hopefully training uh, the next can generation. Get yeah, up there. I feel like what you think? What it's too rigorous? What these astronauts are doing? Oh, the, the physical like training the... that they do is pretty excessive. And truthfully, yeah. you have to be able to scuba dive. And my sinuses don't let me scuba dive. So yes, astronauts have to be able to scuba dive. Isn't someone working on a thing? I mean, I'm, I'm waiting. About space I'm waiting. I had my stuff. eyes fixed by LASIK so that I could. They accept LASIK as a uh, nearsightedness repair at NASA for astronauts. So I'm waiting for the sinus oh. fix. So I haven't given up. All right. Um, and I do have a number uh, of students who are, uh, you know, all They're hopeful. Gone. They're applying yeah. for to be astronauts, and I always I wish them the best. It would yeah, be awesome yeah. to have a student of mine up there. I mean, that is incredible for all my fun shitting on uh, astronauts. Oh, you'd go in a second if you had the opportunity. You know, I absolutely. That was my husband and I when we, uh, before we got married, we had an informal prenup, which included if I'm asked to go to Mars, I will go. Oh, wow. And he wasn't allowed to grow a beard. We, it, there we was, had good agreements. Had one of my, one of my exes, we had a, th- they were like, looking for like couples to shoot to mars or something like that <laughs> they still that's still a thing they're still she was like should we go to mars like i didn't even like her that much yeah i wouldn't been, it would have been a nightmare <laughs> but but like i would have because i'm a weird guy and i like doing things that no one else has ever done before and, and uh, if you can be momentarily slowed down in a cave without freaking out i think yeah. you've got the right stuff yeah yeah um all, all right jeez I, I got eight million more questions that are unrelated to volcanoes let's keep going let's plow forth uh, so into volcanoes. what was another question uh so, it was predictions how good are we at getting yeah. predicting volcanoes and as i said we predict future behavior based on what it's done in the past so how well we can predict a volcanic uh a volcano's future behavior depends entirely on how much time we have spent studying its past and there most volcanoes on the world there are um, over 600 active volcanoes on on land on earth and you know multiply that by 10 or 100 for underwater the vast majority of those are unstudied they're they don't have any instruments on them to tell us even if the volcano is going to wake up um, we don't have any historic record and it, most of what volcanic studies are are reactive oh it looks like it's going to erupt let's go Mm. And and then it's almost too late. Um, and so for those volcanoes that we have instruments on and have been studying, we can do a really good job. So Mount St. Helens has a gazillion instruments on it. Uh, Kilauea volcano, same thing. We can predict those volcanoes. Um, the other volcanoes in the United States are not nearly as well monitored. Yellowstone's pretty well monitored. Yellowstone is the biggest volcano in the United States. Um but it's never erupted in historic times, so we don't really know what we're looking for. Um, it's kind of like, it's literally a sleeping giant, right? Imagine coming upon a giant asleep in a meadow, and if it wakes up, it's going to kill you, and suddenly it rolls over in its sleep. Do you run, or is it just rolling over in its sleep? And that's Yellowstone. A little earthquake happens. Mm. Oh, my God, is it going to erupt or not? So hmm. we don't know enough about Yellowstone. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. What about this? Uh, gosh, now just a, another 
We'll just never get through all the questions that I, I would have for you. We will have to do a second one some other time. Next time I'm in Buffalo, 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 Buffalo. That's just an insult. Or Rochester. You and I. <laughs> um, and I... Um, what what about the uh, what what about the what what are they called the like mega super volcanoes super volcanoes yeah. or whatever the uh, these are like causing these mass extinctions and maybe stuff in, in, in the past per, perhaps so there is um huh. so Yellowstone is an example of a super volcano and a super volcano is is simply a volcano that when it when it erupts it will have global climatic effect it will change the earth's climate for years when it erupts and anything within a few tens of miles of the volcano itself will die because it's buried from with volcanic ash and and it would just destroy everything in its path um so we don't know nearly enough about these things because they erupt so infrequently so the last big super eruption was 70,000 years ago in, uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. And gosh, guess what? 70,000 years ago, we didn't have any instruments <laughs> on the volcano. So we don't uh, know exactly how that eruption happened. We studied the ash deposits and lava deposits that were left by that eruption and used those to try to piece together uh, what the eruption was like. And there is... Uh, some evidence, it's not conclusive, but there's some evidence that that eruption helped shape human evolution mm. by cutting back on the population of humans uh, excessively mm. um, so that we're all descendant from the few thousand humans who survived that dramatic climatic uh, effect from that eruption. Mm. I, I mean, this is, you, you have a super volcano go up, it blasts all, all this ash into the blacks out the sun you're gonna have a lot of your crops are dying your livestock are dying it's not gonna be it's not satellites aren't gonna work because they can't penetrate the ash so let's take everybody's cell phones and gps's away it's not a movie already it probably is it's just not a good one okay but but still i mean this is like have you seen the road ever oh you must um it's fantastic. It's an apocalyptic, uh, very dark. Um, Is there a volcano in it? Viggo Mortensen. Um, it's no, but oh. but it, it's like what I imagine life would be like ah, after okay. that. And because uh, that's not the. I think you want to be. I think you want to be at Yellowstone, like there. I think you. I think you want to go out with it. I. I don't think you want to. <laughs> I don't think you want to do the thing where, like, you got to resort to cannibalism and stuff like that, right? Like, you just want to. That that does sound, that is a personal choice. You, you could <laughs> you, know? you could choose to do that. Yeah, because if Yellowstone goes off again, a uh, life as we know it in the United States will be over, right? Yeah. Air travel won't work. Uh, cell phone communication, GPS, and of course, it's going to destroy all of the farmland in the Western U.S. And so we won't be able to eat, and we will have to rely upon the kindness of our foreign neighbors. What could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, so it it would be a well, we global have a, disaster. Well, I mean, if it happens now, we have a president who's like a, a great negotiator. Oh yeah, so. good deal maker. It'll be it'll be fine. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll get all the food we need from China. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. So, what's the movie with uh, Bruce Willis where they take out the Armageddon? Ar- Armageddon. Okay. How are we stopping the super volcano? What does Bruce Willis need to do to get together with James Cameron to do 
can't you just like take the pressure out of this thing? Can't like set some geothermal, it's a win-win for everybody. You, you drill down there, you set some geothermal stuff up, you get all this free energy and, and you, and you let it quite literally blow off some steam and, and then it doesn't, uh, it doesn't explode and end all of civilization. Is there anything we can do? Nope. Not a damn thing. Not um, a damn thing. A, a superior species that has like a thousand years in the future. The AI takes over the singularity, the robots have figured all the things out. They're a zillion times smarter than us. There's just zero, there's nothing that can be done. You're just done. You're done. There was a few years ago uh, in Indonesia, there was a mud volcano erupting. That sounds perhaps uh, not something you need to worry about, but it was uh, pumping out uh, several thousand gallons of hot mud um, over the the surface, destroying farms, houses, everything. And it was uh, going on for several weeks. And they uh, got a helicopter to drop a bunch of concrete balls down the throat of the mud volcano in an effort to close it up. And that didn't work. Well, I um, mean, that's just stupid i agree um, I, I mean. people in italy have been dealing with etna for centuries trying to uh build walls that will divert the lava flows okay that doesn't but, yeah, really work. No, i mean we're talking about like pathetic ideas but there has to be you haven't given me any better uh, ideas uh, i mean there i i'm just saying making allowances for like the whole world's gonna come to get like we're now able to predict this is when the next one's going to blow. It's going to end all of civilization as we know it. We need to get together and stop this thing. We have Bruce Willis. We have James Cameron. We, we have all of how many billion humans are there. All our technology, all of our energy. There is nothing you could throw at a volcano like this to stop it. Not like Yellowstone. It's too big. You're talking about... Um, several cubic miles of hot lava. And to prevent the eruption, you need to cool it down. Okay. And how are you going to do that? I'm There's so, not a refrigerator big enough. You drill down, you let it blow off some Oh, some yeah, steam. what could possibly go wrong? Let's just, it's like cracking. I'm just going to open my shook up beer bottle just a little bit. Well, you start it like that. Yeah, edges. yeah, right. Yeah. You see, you start further away. Yeah, it's not going to. So Yellowstone's already got a, a whole bunch of water and snow all around it, right? That's what makes the geysers. The uh -huh. water and snow uh, melt and percolate down till it gets close to the magma chamber. The magma heats it up and it shoots back up as geysers. That's what Old Faithful is. Oh. And so adding more water is going to make a lot more geysers, which will be lovely, but it won't stop the eruption. Okay. God. Right. It's too big. It's too big. We don't God, have the technology um, or I and there's no you know, I get asked fairly frequently. Can't we just bomb it? Can't we just drop a bomb on a volcano and make it stop? And the answer is no. If you drop a bomb on a volcano, if it's thinking about erupting, dropping a bomb on it might just push it over the edge and make it erupt right yeah, then so. i mean who's having the bomb ideas it's, it's, i i like i like my drilling releasing pressure idea you start far enough away wait, wait, in, in new york we start drilling here uh, and work yeah, our way toward yellowstone yeah, yeah. yeah. no, no it, it, uh, i mean clearly i'm i'm 
you know, I'm obviously not the volcano expert. <laughs> well, <laughs> think about what you're them. actually saying is, okay, so imagine you're pouring yourself a glass of beer and the foam <laughs> is piling up to the top. It's going to spill over the glass. And you're thinking, I know, I'll put a straw in it so all the foam will go up the straw. How's that going to work? Mm. Yeah, see it in your head? It's not going to work real well. I don't know if I like that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, admittedly, you probably know more about beer than I do, but I think I got <laughs> you on the volcanoes. All right. Well, I have, you've been fantastic. I have my guests each week name a nonprofit of their choice. Did you have one in mind for us? I would love it if people could support uh, specifically the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries. And if they don't want to do that, support your own local public library. Yeah. Pro libraries, everybody. Get into it. And your local independent bookstore, too, by the way. That's another thing. I know it's not like a, it's a for-profit thing, but those guys don't make any money, and and we need them. Um, so, yeah, do good in this world. Uh, what, what do you got, what do you got coming up um, that you're excited about like volcano wise not not holiday season wise so right now um i had just finished working with some colleagues uh across the country we put together a a proposal and that we sent to nasa asking nasa to give us money to study some volcanoes on mars and so i'm very excited about the possibility to uh, have some students work with me on understanding how some martian volcanoes changed with time what's their evolution and uh can we say anything about whether mars is still volcanically active Mm. or not say they say say they like nasa's listening to this right now and they're like shane and tracy we decided we got we're gonna shoot you guys to uh, up up into mars it's like you, you know you we, we we need a professional geologist and then then we need someone that's like making it accessible for for everyone how how are we gonna uh, how are we gonna do up there just you and me up and up and up in mars how, i'm not how, exactly how, sure what you're asking like how no, are we gonna not, are we gonna kill each other on yeah, the nine month yeah, trip no, out I, there I, I, or? yeah i wasn't getting inappropriate with no, the I, 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 was, well, I, I was well now it's awkward but <laughs> what i was asking what I was asking was, uh, how how long before you kill me? Oh no, I'm um I would silently kill you uh, mentally a thousand times before you would ever suspect you don't that think, I didn't uh, like yeah. I'm uh, like I, first off I don't know what the bathroom situation is like in our I I think it's better than in your submarine. Yes, right. but actually, NASA has spent a lot of money developing toilets for the space station. Pooping in space is really hard. Think about gravity the next time you're sitting on the toilet. You really depend on it. And if it's not there, it makes things a lot more difficult. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, oh, man. I, th- this... <laughs> This, this is like I could have just ended this podcast. <laughs> we had we had such a great conversation, and then just making it stupid right at well, the no, end. Well, no, that's for a real no thing. Reason. Humans I mean, are complicated I was, and messy. Yeah, I I mean, 
because that's that's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to they're trying to shoot people up. Yeah, there the and, goal is to send people to Mars and, sometime and then in the next live ten up years, there and you never come back. I no, I think the initial goal is just to send people there and have them walk around and then come back. Um, but one has to the astronauts themselves have to acknowledge that there's always the possibility, just like with the the lunar, you know, the Apollo astronauts. There's always the possibility that you won't come back, and <laughs> and you've hit on a really uh, key part of this, which is that the shortest amount of time you spend in space to get to mars is nine months so i'd like you to think of anybody that you would be willing to live with in a tiny space station for nine months it's like we're besties already obviously um but like how in the world the who's signing up for that it seems like well there are practice studies there is a a practice study uh, on uh, one of the uh, dormant volcanoes in Hawaii where they crammed I think it was four or five people for a year to simulate living on Mars and did psychological studies oh I think I I would actually you should find some of those people I I would do that yeah yeah but what a nightmare i like i just don't mind a little nightmare in life from time to time i can handle it but god that sounds awful well it's cost benefit right what are you willing to put yourself through to be able to walk (laughs) on mars yeah that's true that's the question all right tracy i hope to have you on again sometime this is fantastic you're delightful i appreciate all of your work good luck on all of your adventurous things life adventures? research adventurous adventures <laughs> absolutely I was, I was going to say i was like what's the word that comes after adventurous and i had the same thought i was like adventures yeah, crap it's, it works uh, <laughs> i know what you mean it's okay yeah well you you've been absolutely terrific and i hope to have you on again thank you so much for your time and thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people we'll talk with you more next week Hope you enjoyed the show, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the old school before times podcast. And my my old editor back when we were just doing audio um, stepped up and did this one as well for us. Jimmy Fro, check out the Jimmy Fro Indie Music Show. Uh, he is uh, he is the audiophile who who made this podcast sound so good. For so many years, thank you, Jimmy, and um, check out the outro music uh, by, this is Jake the Hawk, recorded by Mind Rocket Sessions. Check out Mind Rocket Sessions. Speaking of the YouTubes, check out Mind Rocket Sessions. It's a lot like uh, Tiny Desk Concerts, but uh, more for uh, indie music. So super cool um great way to find some new jams hope you dig it and those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorites
Star Audio, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.